0: Good afternoon, Rob Report here on 970 W D A Y. Natil, how you doing?
1: Good. It's getting warm out there now. 80 degrees here in Fargo. I don't know what the temperature's like up there, but it's a bit it's a bit much for me now. It's start we're starting to get into sweating weather.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we'll just think what it's gonna be like when summer actually starts on Shh.
1: Just just let me just let me have the dream of another like 75 degree day. I just want like one more.
0: All right. Well, we're going to be joined by Governor Burgum here in just a moment. 701-293-9000. If you want to get your comments or questions in, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. And then later in the show, I'm going to re- – I just saw this uh, letter of the editor that popped up. Uh, headline, as, conservative, as a conservative science denier, Port's opinion was expected. I'm going to – We'll talk about this letter a little bit. I think it's interesting. Uh, but now let's go to our guest, Governor Doug Burgum. Mr. Uh, Burgum, how are you today? I'm great,
2: Rob. Great to be on the show with you.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, first of all, you're at the, you've been at this drone conference. Tell us what's going on with that. That's that's exciting stuff.
2: Well, it was fantastic that we were able to have a a national conference here in North Dakota really highlighting uh, you know all the progress that North Dakota's made in taking – taking out a leadership position but also talking about the implications going forward for all of our major industries in mean, the energy agriculture uh, you name it there are applications for autonomous vehicles in both on ground and in the air that are going to have big implications for us going forward and if we if we're not on the front edge of this we're not going to be competitive in the twenty-first century so exciting to see Uh, all the companies, all the entrepreneurs, all the innovators, and all the people coming together. I think we had over 500 people there. Secretary of Transportation was there. Senator John Hovind was there. We had uh, a half a dozen great meetings with the Secretary of Transportation. And, of course, in the hierarchy of the federal government, Secretary of Transportation uh, rolled up underneath her responsibilities, includes the uh, FAA, Federal Aviation Administration. So really key to have her there. Uh, understanding what are the great strengths that North Dakota can bring to helping solve some of the big problems as this industry goes forward.
0: You know, speaking of that, I, I had on uh UND professor, economics professor, uh, David Flynn, earlier in the program. We were kind of talking about the economy in North Dakota and the importance of diversifying. And he made a point about the, the, um, the, the, the UAV thing um, that, that I hadn't thought about. He he said that there is so much, this technology has proliferated so much, and there's so much innovation going on just you know, everywhere for people, private businesses, entrepreneurs, people working in their garages, that it may be challenging. Like that, they that may be a big challenge to the research initiative at UND. Is all this other? I mean, it, it's moving so fast. Is something like what's happening at UND going to keep up with it? And I know you're you're uniquely positioned to appreciate this, obviously, giving your background in, the, in in the tech industry. But I mean, is that a challenge? For I mean, you talk about staying on the bleeding edge. This is moving quickly. Is UND going to be able to keep up?
2: Well, I think it's you know not just it's not just UND uh, per se or any uh, you know research done at a university. I mean, part of the message to Secretary Chow yesterday was that government itself may have a hard time keeping up with regulations because, as you say, the proliferation, uh, Rob, of these, whether it's you know small scale small operators, whether it's a you know a contractor that's using it to evaluate a site before construction or whether it's a farmer looking at his field, or whether it's, you know, one of our big power companies inspecting power lines or their wind turbines, uh, that, you know, the number of aircraft that we're going to have flying in in airspace uh, is, you know, is growing so rapidly that all of a sudden you end end up with, you know, how, how do the rules relative to FAA and airspace, how do you manage all that? How do you manage it with crop dusters? How do you manage it with uh, you know, with uh, commercial flights, and how do you how do you do it in, a, in an era where, you know, in fifteen or twenty years, you could actually, you know, I'm gonna say Jetsons, but you could be having flying taxis in the uh, in the next couple of decades. How does the government keep up with change that's going so rapidly?
0: Definitely, big challenge. I, I want to switch gears and talk with you. You recently had a, a meeting uh, with uh, oil and gas industry leaders talking about pipeline safety, which, of course, you know, as we saw with the protests. Very hot-button issue. I think everybody from the industry to the environmentalists to the general public is interested in pipelines being safer, although I I would argue they're very safe now and we do a pretty good job. But there's always room for improvement. You had that meeting. Bismarck Tribune was critical of it. Uh, They said in an editorial, I quote, when Governor Doug Burgum took office, we knew he would take a different approach to government. Unfortunately, that includes excluding the public from discussions that directly impact them. Now, I thought your meeting was just fine, but how do you respond to that criticism?
2: Well, I think part of what, you know, what we bring to the table here is a, a focus on solving problems. And if you want to solve problems, <clears throat> the way to solve problems today it relates to the topic we just came off of. If we want to solve problems, whether it's a problem of pipeline safety, whether it's making you know, protecting our environment, creating jobs, you got to solve it through innovation, not through regulation. And I think that some people think that the way you solve a problem is you have, you know, lots of public hearings and and uh, and then you, and what you do, you sort of inherently sometimes you end up looking backwards uh, as opposed to looking forward. And all of these companies are putting R and D dollars, some of it confidential, onto trying to solve the problems because no no pipeline company wants to have a spill, right? They don't want to have a spill, and sometimes they don't want to share the information because their competitors are sitting in the room. But I said, look, I got them all in the room, and I said, guys, uh, look, here's the issue. You know, we're moving towards an era of, you know, zero tolerance. You know, we can have a, 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 spipe, a pipeline spill uh, of a, uh, you know, less than, uh, uh, you know, 84 gallons of pipeline spill, and it makes national news, uh, which is true. It just happened a few weeks ago. That happens. You know, and then we have this tragic... You know, two truck collision by Newtown, uh, where you have a tanker full, uh, you might have 8,000 gallons that got spilled at that tanker thing and two fatalities, as you say, because it's not safe moving this product, uh, you know, by, uh, as safe moving it by rail or by truck. So, you know, we spill 8,000. That's not national news and two people died. And so I just said, you guys are in a spot now with the press where there's zero tolerance and so we got to get in the room as an industry figure out what can we do to try to have you know in North Dakota the very best uh, and the very safest pipeline infrastructure that we can have because we've got and it's, and it's not necessarily the new stuff we've got i think close to 400 river crossings of pipelines in North Dakota today and some of that stuff is very very old and and so again trying to challenge them to say what are they doing in their research what are they doing with their R and D, because there's a lot of R and D that goes on at a corporate level, more than more more, more corporate R and D than university R and D. You know, how can how can we work together to do that? And 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 I think that was uh, it's appropriate when we get to actually making policy, we'll have the hearings, the public will be involved. But this was a chance to get together with the industry and really put the challenge out to them uh, to have them step up and help be part of the solution.
0: 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Just a few minutes uh, left with Governor Doug Burgum. Uh, the other thing I want to ask you about is this this ongoing issue with the mineral rights under Lake Sakakawea. Uh, the legislature acted, uh, but we're seeing in, in this this the uh, Wilkinson versus the Land Board case, and I had the attorney, Mr. Josh Swanson, on this uh, on this program uh, talking about it, uh, but that continues to be an issue um, the state, I, I, I guess in that case, continues to assert that they have, uh, that the state of North Dakota has, has uh, you know, possesses these mineral rights. Um, uh, do you see a resolution coming for that pretty soon?
2: Well, you know, this is a, a interesting case, and as you know, Rob, it's, you know, heading to the Supreme Court of North Dakota here shortly, and, and the uh, Supreme Court will get a chance to, you know, hear from both sides, and they'll get a chance to... Uh, you know, review that case in in the context of of the the, the law. The law of the land now is is uh, Senate Bill twenty one thirty four, and so it'll be uh, you know new legislation passed and signed. I guess will be put to a legal test uh, very quickly in its in its life, and and that's I think that's appropriate because this is a, this is a legal. The Wilkson case has been going on for years. Uh, these dates were set you know before the uh, before the legislation was passed, and so they're you know sort of two separate. Uh, but parallel processes that uh, you know it will intersect when the court makes its decision
0: what well, who who is pu- one thing I, I, I was talking with uh, mr swanson about i mean who who is pushing for this i mean who in state government is making the decision you know to to, to assert that these are the state's mineral rights i mean who who is the decider on that because it kind of seems like uh, you know i'm looking around thinking okay well who who is the policymaker who is in charge of this making that decision can you tell us i mean who who is how did this start? Where, where is this coming from? Why is it continuing?
2: Well, there was lots of cases. I mean, and again, I'm, you know, since I took office here less than six months ago, there's, you know, coming up speed on the history. But, of course, uh, the there you know was established law, some of it going back to statehood and some of it going back, you know, water law. And water law is, uh, you know, what, what do they say? You know, whiskeys for drinking and waters for fighting, the old yeah. adage in the West because it's lots of legal... Food. Complicated, lots of legal suits. So, th- but then, uh, you know, then we have the Bakken boom in the last 10 years, and now all of a sudden everybody really wants to know uh, where their minerals begin or end and where and where that. So, there's been a lot of cases that have been, been emerging. And so, the land uh, board did make a decision a number of years ago to do a survey study, uh, <clears throat> one using one technique west of the Williston Bridge, a different technique, uh, because now the river is under the lake. There, I mean, using a different technique, using historic photographs to try to determine uh, where the river was as a, a boundary, and then that's being, being challenged, and so part of 2134 is uh, another attempt to really define, uh, you know, what's, what's the river uh, from a historic standpoint, because it, I think everyone agrees that if it's under the river, it belongs to the state, and if it's not under the river, it belongs to the, uh, uh, to the landowners. And but coming up with the definition of the edge of the river uh, is was, yeah. is tricky at any time. Coming up with what was the edge of the river in the 1950s, right? Um, you know, it's maybe that's it's uh, that's prior maybe, prior you know,
0: to, to to GPS and some of the technology we have today. Yeah. Last question: Couldn't the I, land board just, just call uh, off a
2: lawyer? I would just call that. I would just call that lawyer heaven, Rob. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> trying to come up with a. So, okay, so, so you so, go so, ahead.
0: Yeah, well, I guess last question: Can't the Land Board just call off the lawyers? I mean, why? Why? I mean, I mean, is is that is that? A, a, I, obviously, the Land Board's more than just you, but I mean, is that something you would support? Is just, hey, let's let's just call this off?
2: Well, I, I think again, this is a situation where we have uh, um, you know ongoing litigation, and the right uh, position for me to say is this is not common on ongoing litigation uh, because uh, this is. Uh, if it wasn't, if it wasn't this case, it would be another one. This, the, the, you know, the law that's been created needs to be tested in the courts, and uh, as do a lot of laws, particularly when it comes to water law. And so it's a, uh, it's uh, you know, here's one that's coming up that's going to get a chance to get tested and heard by the Supreme Court, and that's probably all good.
0: Mr. Governor, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Rob. That's uh, Governor Doug Burgum, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. We'll be right back here on 970 WDAY. Don't go away. Rob report here on 970W D 701-29390-888970-9329 went a little long with the governor, so we got just a few minutes here. Um, until, I, I thought I thought Governor Bergham made a, an interesting point about pipeline leaks. Because he's right. Even even small leaks these days, the pipeline issues become such a hot button political issue that even small leaks that have minimal or no environmental impact at all, that really shouldn't be news, make news but yet, for some reason, you know we have a we have a a, a two truck head on collision near Newtown, oil trucks, uh, and it's that doesn't make news at all. I mean, it seems a little seems a little selective to me, right? Like pipelines are a hot button political issue, but we forget that pipelines serve a purpose. They mean less oil on the roads, less oil on the rails. That gets overlooked.
1: I definitely agree with agree with you there. I mean, the fact of the matter is that people don't want to people don't want to hear about when pipelines leak because that's it's scary. It's scary yeah. to think about oil leaking into the ground where we do things like grow our food and sure. pull our water. Nobody from. wants
0: pipelines to leak.
1: Exactly, and so so that's that's scary. But the fact of the matter is that you're right. We do hear a lot more about pipeline leaks as opposed to tankers that. Um, tip over on the highways or things like that and, but and we know statistically that it's a lot more hazardous to transport oil by rail than it yeah. is to transport it by pipe. I mean listen, we're all using oil,
0: right? I mean if we if we stopped using oil, the way we live our lives would have to change dramatically and not for the better. Your life would be more expensive, you would not be able to travel as much, you would probably wouldn't be able to afford a lot of the products that you can afford today, oil is a huge part of our economy. And not just producing it, but it's in all sorts of devices. Your electronic devices, petroleum-based products are everywhere. It's not just gas for your car. It's not just gas for the for, for your furnace or whatever. It's It's everywhere. We're all using this product, right? And I don't think any of us, I don't think anything even approaching a majority of Americans want to change that because of the hit that they would take to their quality of life. And so as long as that's true, then it's incumbent upon us to pump the oil and to transport it to market and to do those things in the safest possible way. And unfortunately, the people who are the loudest about this are the people who just flat out don't want to pump oil at all. And those people aren't worth listening to, I think. All right, more to come straight ahead. This is the Rob Report, 701-293-9000, 888 We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Report on 970 WDAY. Join the program 701 293 9000 888 Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, Chairman Archibot and, uh, and another Standing Rock Tribal Council member uh, got fa- found not guilty of uh, of disorderly conduct. And uh, I don't, and until I don't know how the hell that happened. I don't know if you've seen the video of of what got them arrested, but I don't know how anybody watches that video and doesn't say, yeah, that's, that's, uh, shoving a cop is disorderly conduct. I don't know how you reach any other conclusion. You look at the video, Uh, you know. I guess
1: I, I I haven't seen the video, so.
0: The video is at sayanythingblog.com, if you want to look it up. Uh, And it's pretty remarkable. I guess the jury deliberated for all of like 10 minutes uh, and they just came out, so I don't know what happened, but. I, I guess that's becoming part of sort of the narrative about the protests. I mean, we're, we're having, we're seeing all these efforts to go back and and whitewash the Dakota Access Pipeline protests and to make it seem like it wasn't a bunch of ideological extremists who came to South Central North Dakota and threw bombs and and uh, had you know mil- uh, millions of dollars in property damage and uh, blocked highways and fought with the police. No, it's I, I guess uh, you know. It's 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 this government conspiracy between law enforcement and mercenaries to do all this other stuff. I mean, that's that's going on, and I guess part of the narrative is the number of criminal charges from all those arrests that have been dismissed or like with Chairman Arshambo found not guilty. And you know, I mean, the problem the cops really had is that I mean, they were caught completely unawares by this. For instance, like like a bulk of the a lot of the cases dismissed were like trespassing cases. Well, North Dakota has sort of a weird trespass law where you have, I mean, the burden of proof is almost on the property owner to prove that the property was posted, right? Because otherwise, if it's not posted, then they just have to leave when you tell them to leave. And I mean, that, that was really the the state's problem is they're going into court and they're trying to prove that the posted sign was that The posted signs were there when people kept ripping them down. Um, You know, so that's, it, it's a tough case to prove in court, uh, you know, especially in, in in such a chaotic situation. But anyway, that's becoming part of the narrative, and it's for unfortunate. I mean, you you got to give the environmentalists credit for one thing; they are very, very, very good at propaganda. I mean, the way they just flood the zone and and, and attack anybody uh, you know straying from their preferred narrative. Is uh, is remarkable. I mean, they get the they get they get a lot of the press to buy into it, at least to some degree or another. And it, it's unfortunate. I mean, you want to talk about fake news, you look at the left wing coverage of the Dakota Access Pipelines. That's fake news. All right. As uh, as often happens, I see there is a letter to the editor. Uh, this one, uh, I'm reading it in the Fargo Forum. Maybe it'll be in other papers. Uh, a Letter to the editor complaining about me. Uh, looks like uh, Jan Cool from Savage, Minnesota, uh, writes, uh, and, and I, she's talking about a piece I had written about the uh, Davis Refinery, uh, arguing that some of the opponents were misleading people because they're saying that the refinery is going to be visible from the park, and that's been tested. The refinery is not going to be visible from the park. She says, I quote, Congratulations, Mr. Port, on basing your opinion on the ability of seeing an 11-foot kite flown 150 feet in the air not being observed from the buck hill location so based on your argument from buck hill we will not see any smoke or steam rising from the power plant if that is true i pity the neighbors that have to suffer with smoke steam and haze that is limited to a 150 foot ceiling the only benefit theodore roosevelt national park will receive is that very seldom does the wind blow from the east so there is a very limited chance of the park being blanketed in smoke smoke and haze port as a conservative science denier I would like to point out that hot air rises, so the smoke, steam, and haze will be seen from Buck Hill. Uh, Maybe you would like to work with the North Dakota Department of Tourism and assign some sort of puffer device on top of the smokestacks that could be camouflaged. The smoke is an Indian smoke signal. I would suggest the equivalent message of Morris Code, SOS, repeating pattern. Uh, You really got to admire the way these people move the goalposts, right? I mean... We started out with is the refinery visible from the park and the answer to that is no unless you're way up on Buck Hill in Theodore Roosevelt National Park which is the highest elevation point in the park you can't see the refinery it's over it's over the horizon and even from Buck Hill a kite flown at the height of the tallest portion of the refinery cannot be seen to me that's significant now there is the issue of emissions from the plant steam we spoke with a representative from um, the, uh, the the company that's that's working on the project. I don't have that in front of me right now. Uh, the full interview is up at sayanythingblog.com if you want to hear it. I asked him about the steam issue, and he said this is brand new technology. This is 40 years newer than any other refinery out there. The amount of steam that this thing put off is, put off, is, is going to be very minimal. They are going to be very limited in the amount of water that they use in this process. Uh, so it's not like there's just going to be a big cloud of steam boiling off from this thing all the time. That's just not going to be the case. Now, there is going to be some, and it is going to be visible, but is that really a fair standard to apply to this, that we can't see anything, any sign of human industry, any sign of human commerce from within the confines of Theodore Roosevelt National Park? Like, if you get up on top of this hill and you look out over all that beautiful landscape, you see one man-made thing, a little bit of steam out on the horizon, and suddenly that's reason. To, to, to derail a nearly billion dollar project come on. And what's amazing to me is these people are they're gonna be upset by a steam flume from this refinery. They're upset by that but where are the people complaining about uh, you know wind turbines turning our our nighttime landscape and it looks like an alien landing. I mean you ever see how I mean, you drive it through the, the the North Dakota countryside at night and you got these red lights flashing up it looks like an alien invasion. Now, listen, I'm not saying let's ban wind turbines. I don't particularly like that wind, uh, we're building these turbines not so much because the market is demanding wind power, but because wind power companies are taking advantage of heavy, heavy government subsidies that allow them to essentially sell, undercut every other energy uh, source on the market. I don't like that. I don't like the market distorting realities of energy policy around wind. But just because the wind turbines are there, and I think they're ugly, and I hate their lights, doesn't mean I want to ban them. All right? Setting aside how I might feel about wind energy policy, the reality of the turbines are what they are. They're producing electricity. They're a form of industry. And that's fine. And I'm getting tired of this double standard that environmentalists apply. Right, because it's it's not really about it. They're just they just come up with whatever they can come up with, right? Whatever talking point they can have that will disallow a refinery or disallow an oil well or will disallow a pipeline, they're going to make it. And it's not really about whatever the argument. It's it's just throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks. That's what it is. We saw it with the Dakota Access Pipeline where they just keep moving the goalposts because it doesn't really matter. It's not really about the viewscape from Theodore Roosevelt National Park. It's not really about safety. It's not really about anything other than an ideological objection to fossil fuels, an ideological ob- objection to oil development from a group of people who use oil just like the rest of us. Oil is something that our economy runs on. It's a, you know to the point that I was making earlier in the program, we're all using oil. You ride the bus, you're using oil. Use your cell phone, petroleum-based product. Plastics, natural gas, all of this stuff. You can't make wind turbines without petroleum products. This is reality. Oil is everywhere in our economy. It's everywhere in our life. We use this product. We're all using this product. Therefore, it behooves us to use this product. It's there. We know how to use it. We know how to get it. And you know what? We're getting better at getting it and doing it safer all the time. It's, it's just, to me, it's just so pointless to fight against something, to fight against a product that so clearly has so many uses in our modern society that is so clearly useful. Instead of fighting it, instead of trying to block it, it's, it, it "Why not? why not move to get better at doing it? Why not work together towards that end? I, I got to tell you, sometimes it is difficult to tell the difference between the modern environmental m- movement and Luddites, right? It's 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 weak conservatives who are accused of being anti-science. But who are the people out there opposing progress? Really, if you break it down, who are the ones opposing progress? 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. report here on 970 WDAY. seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. 293 9000 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. So and I was just I was just on a rant about like oil and climate change and all that kind of stuff, right? Yes, you were. So, so you're gonna you're gonna like this because I, I, I always I always think I'll start believing that climate change is this this existential crisis when the people who depend on that narrative politically start acting like it, right? I mean that's that's what you got to watch. Like words are one thing, actions are another thing, right? So supposedly, like we're all headed to this this apocalypse or whatever. There, there, there's another there's another tranche of emails out from Hillary Clinton's never ending email scandal, right? Out today. Uh, And one of the emails is from uh, July 9th, 2011, and uh, it has Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. uh, I guess they're they're getting ready to go to some funeral or something. I'm not real clear on what that is. But um, she's emailing back and forth with uh, Huma Abedin, and they find out that Michelle Obama is going to the same funeral, I guess. And Hillary Clinton says she doesn't want to ride on the same plane as (laughs) Michelle Obama. So she requests taking another plane. I guess so she doesn't have to ride on the same plane as Michelle Obama. And these are the people that tell us that we have to sacrifice in our personal lives that we can't have, you know, gas guzzling SUVs and everything because we gotta sacrifice for the sake of the environment, and they can't ride in the same airplane together. All right? When the people who tell us that that the, the global warming is an apocalypse, that it's it's terrible and, and and we gotta solve it by taxing the hell out of everything. When they start acting like there's a real crisis at hand, that's when I'm going to start believing it. Because otherwise, I think it's just, it's just ideology. It's just politics. That's all it is. It's just politics. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. Climate science is hugely complicated and we, we need to be striving to understand it better all the time. But I look at a lot of the political conclusions that we have drawn from this, right, the sort of thing that people like to hang a lab coat on and say, oh, my politics are science, and if you don't like my politics, then you're anti-science, that stuff. I look at it, and it looks like hubris to me, because what you're telling me is that we could predict global climate patterns going out centuries, even though climate models started 15, 20 years ago, aren't turning out to be all that accurate. We're supposed to believe that it's settled science, that we know what the climate is going to do centuries from now, and that we can actually change what the weather is going to be centuries from now by implementing tax policy today. It is lunacy. Lunacy. All right. This is this is through the looking glass type stuff. This is crazy. But yet people believe it. It's a religion. I mean, this is what this is the sort of thing that drives people to come to North Dakota and to throw bombs at police and set construction equipment on fire and run cars off the road and block highways and set trucks on fire and try to block railroad tracks. Because they think because they think a pipeline is going to contribute to global warming. All right, this isn't this isn't this it's it's beyond politics, right? And I'm not talking about the well-intentioned people who have legitimate gripes about the oil industry needing to do more to prevent pipelines. I got no problem with that criticism. I've got no problem with, with with people saying, "Hey, let's try to limit the amount of emissions that are coming out of refineries or power plants." I've got no problem with that. Sure. Let's have that debate. That is perfectly legitimate public policy debate. What I am talking about is the green, the, the, the cult of environmentalism, which says that, that you've got to light things on fire and throw bombs and fight with the police to block a pipeline because you think oil ought to be kept in the ground. That's what I'm talking about. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's not, I mean, it shouldn't be elevated into the realm of, of logical, level-headed political debate, because it's not. It's crazy town stuff. 701 293 9000 888 9329 email talk at WDAY.com. And, 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 and the worst thing about it is that all the people, the, the, the greeny billionaires and the celebrities and the, the political elite, all these people that are telling us That this is, this is, this is a depending upon, they're not giving up their private airplanes. They're not giving up their fleet of SUVs that they travel to VIP events in. Right? That's not happening. They're not willing to sacrifice in their lives. They're not going to change anything. They just mean the rest of us. Should have to sacrifice. Ah, Emailer says, Al Gore lives pretty well on the ocean off his carbon credit sales. Boy, that's. Oh, let me start it on carbon credits. You know carbon credits that's like that's like the like the Catholic Church used to sell like indulgences for people for their sins, right? So it was like, well go ahead and go ahead and sin, and then you could just spend some money and, and it, it's like it won't matter. Like that's essentially what that is. It's the most cynical part of a cynical environmental movement.
1: <sighs>
0: Politics. This stuff—it—it—it uh, it, it, it just amazes me when when I when I watch because we get we get so down in the weeds having these debates about climate change and everything else. We get so down in the weeds, and I think we lose sight of how absurd a lot of these debates become. I really think we do. Jay Thomas show coming up next. Remember, you can always catch me here one to two p.m. Monday through Friday, or twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.